0: Have you ever wondered what hygiene was like during the Black Death? People in the Middle Ages have acquired something of a bad reputation when it comes to cleanliness. From questionable medical advice such as doctors suggesting lancing buboes and drinking the pus of the afflicted, to fleas and lice being a common problem. Regularly emptying chamber pots into the streets, and no running water, apart from nearby springs, rivers, lakes, wells, and cisterns. During this time, it was common to sleep on dirty straw beds. Rarely changed straw bedding was a particular paradise for, you guessed it, vermin. Even if some preventative measures were taken, such as mixing herbs and flowers like basil, chamomile, lavender, and mint into the straw. In spite of sanitation policies existing, such as burying plague ridden dead bodies in deep pits outside of town, some cities were so overwhelmed that dogs dragged the cadavers back through the streets. Oh my! In this episode, we're looking at hygiene in plague ridden Europe. Are you ready? <laughs> Ring around the rosy, a bucket full of posies. Ashes, ashes, we all fall. Down. <laughs> Everyone was covered in fleas, which helped spread the plague. Europe wasn't the cleanest place in the 14th century. Fleas and lice thrived, and grime was omnipresent. Bathing was not an everyday occurrence for commoners. However, most peasants began their day by at least washing their hands and face. The ubiquitous fleas spread diseases like the plague. The tiny insects bit rats infected with the plague and then jumped to humans, causing an epidemic. Doctors of the era never identified fleas as a cause of the plague. As a result, people continued to sleep on straw teeming with vermin without realizing their poor hygiene was spreading diseases. One treatment for the plague involved bathing in vinegar and rose water or urine. Contrary to the stereotype, medieval Europeans did take baths. The rich bathed in private tubs, while everyone else dunked in streams or visited public baths. One treatment for the plague even recommended bathing. Instead of bathing in water though, one source recommended bathing in vinegar and rose water. Vinegar, a common medieval medical treatment, was considered a great tool in stopping the plague. Plague doctors sometimes washed their hands in vinegar, or placed vinegar sponges in their mask. Another recommendation called for bathing in your own urine to treat the plague. Hygiene rituals practiced by Jews might have helped them survive the plague, but it also worked against them. While Europe's Jewish communities also perished from the plague, their personal hygiene rituals, which included washing their hands, may have prevented them from experiencing as high a mortality rate as their Christian neighbors. Christians, in turn, drew the wrong lesson from this disparity. Christians claimed Jews couldn't catch the plague and accused them of tainting wells to spread the disease. The communities were vilified, oppressed, and compelled to confess to nefarious deeds they did not commit. According to the Nuremberg Chronicle, in 1348, all the Jews in Germany were burned, having been accused of poisoning the wells, as many of them confessed. Doctors recommended drinking the pus from Lance Plague Bubos. Doctors in the 14th century had no idea how to treat the plague. Ironically, many of their treatments actually spread the disease. For example, plague sufferers experienced swelling in their lymph nodes called buboes. Doctors recommended cutting open the buboes to let the disease leave the body. They then applied a mixture of resin, plant roots and dried feces to the wounds. One treatment even recommended drinking the pus from lance bubos, an almost certain fatal suggestion. Streets piled with cadavers and mass graves infected Europe's cities. Towns and cities struggled with disposing of the overwhelming numbers of cadavers during the plague. Fearing contamination, Europeans tried to avoid the afflicted. According to Boccaccio, many perished daily or nightly in the public streets. Of many others who perished at home, the departure was hardly observed by their neighbors until the stench carried the tidings. Another chronicler in Florence wrote, All the citizens did little else except to carry the slain to be buried. Cities turned to mass graves to dispose of the cadavers but they didn't always protect the living from infection. According to Agnolo di Tura, some of the burial sites were so sparsely covered with earth that the dogs dragged cadavers forth and devoured many. Emptying chamber pots into open sewers helped spread diseases. Before indoor plumbing, human waste created a public health crisis. In the 14th century, townsfolk might share a toilet with dozens of households. Or, instead of walking to a communal cesspit to dispose of waste, many simply emptied their chamber pots into the street. Rain or floods caused cesspits to overflow, sending human waste into the water supply. Open sewers attracted rats and vermin, which spread diseases like the plague. Having begun to see the connection between effluence and disease, England's Parliament tried to stop people from dumping waste into the water supply. In 1388, the body declared,
1: So much dung and filth of the garbage, and entrails be cast and put into ditches, rivers, and other waters, that the air there is grown greatly corrupt and infected, and many maladies and other intolerable diseases do daily happen.
0: doctors stuff their beaks with sweet-smelling flowers and herbs to purify the air in the 14th century Europeans believed foul smells spread disease in an attempt to combat the plague they carried sweet-smelling flowers and pomoders to cleanse the air doctors developed the plague doctor costume that has become emblematic of the era the bird-like mask held dried roses, herbs like mint or spices, thought to protect against infection. Doctors donned the mask and a full body covering when treating victims of the plague. The outlandish outfit may have indeed warded against infection, though not because of the herbs and spices. Being covered head to toe meant the unwitting doctors were basically wearing a medieval hazmat suit. Bloodletting exposed people to the septicemic form of the plague. Black plague came in not one but three variants bubonic, pneumonic, and septicemic. Bubonic plague spread via flea bites, pneumonic afflicted the lungs, and septicemic went straight into the bloodstream. Of the three, those who contracted the bubonic form had the highest, though still meager, chance of survival. The septicemic plague, however, was virtually unstoppable. It had a mortality rate of 99 to 100%. Bloodletting was one of the most popular medical treatments in the 14th century. Doctors often treated fevers by bleeding their patients to remove heat from the body. And bleeding was used on plague patients. Doctors believed the plague infected the blood. As a result, they recommended cutting open veins to let the disease leave the body. However, the medical treatment also exposed doctors and others to the septicemic form of the plague. Putrid straw on the floor attracted rodents and harbored bacteria. In the 14th century, Europeans often laid straws or rushes on their floors. Straw covered up the dirt floor in poor people's homes. While wild flowers were sometimes added to the rushes, and the top layer changed occasionally, the bottom layers might remain for decades. In the 16th century, Erasmus was disturbed to find that in many homes,
1: the bottom layer is left undisturbed, sometimes for 20 years, harboring, expectoration, vomiting, the leakage of dogs and men, ale droppings, scrapes of fish, and other abominations not fit to be mentioned. These putrid rushes exhaled a vapor that was harmful to the health," Erasmus declared.
0: They also attracted rodents and let bacteria flourish. The plague positively impacted health and lifespan for those that survived it. The Black Plague wiped out tens of millions of Europeans, but history's deadliest epidemic had a surprising benefit for survivors. According to research by Dr. Sharon DeWitt, the plague improved the health and lifespan of people who lived through the epidemic. For 200 years afterward, people's diets improved and they lived longer than pre-plague Europeans. Scholars point to several potential explanations for the improvements. The smaller population following the plague enjoyed higher wages and cheaper food prices, which helps explain the better diets. And survivors of the plague might have been less frail overall since the plague eliminated so many people. The word quarantine comes from Venice's attempts at keeping plague-ridden ships at bay. When the Black Plague struck, Europeans knew the disease was contagious. In some areas, cities tried to ban ships from infected areas to protect their population. In 1348, Venice became the first to enforce a 30-day isolation period for ships and travelers to make sure they weren't infected. In later outbreaks of the plague, the city extended the isolation to 40 days, giving birth to the term Quarantine from the Italian Quaranta, meaning 40. Unfortunately, even these efforts failed to stop the spread of disease. Tens of thousands still perished in Venice. Pope Clement VI sat alone between two bonfires that he thought cleansed the air of the plague. The doctor to Pope Clement VI, Guy de Chouliac, said the epidemic shamed Europe's doctors.
1: They dared not visit the sick for fear of being infected. And when they did visit them, they did hardly anything for them.
0: De Chauliac instructed Pope Clement VI to sit alone between two bonfires. The doctor claimed this treatment would cleanse the air and prevent infection. While the fires themselves may have had the inadvertent effect of keeping plague-ridden rats at bay, the forced isolation did keep the Pope alive during the plague. I hope you enjoyed episode 9 of our October Madness episodes. Make sure to tune in on Thursday for our penultimate episode. I'm Carissa Vickis, reminding you to wash your hands, wear your mask, and stay safe.